This morning's gospel reading comes from Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 through 23. Now when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee. He left Nazareth and made his home in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what had been spoken through the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, on the road by the sea across the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light, and for those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to proclaim, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. As he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother, John, in the boat with their father, Zebedee, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately, they left their boat and their father and followed him. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness among the people. God's word is a light unto our feet and a lamp unto our path. Will you pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord. Our strength, our rock, our love, and our redeemer. Amen. You'll have to excuse the pun. But there's something fishy going on here. Maybe, maybe it's hard to see. When you repeatedly hear a story, its strangeness can become a little bit less strange, and the importance of the fishiness can get lost. This happens to me often. Recently, uh, a friend, um, that friend being Grace Killian, if you know her, Uh, mentioned the importance of looking for humor in the Bible. Her remarks got me thinking. Looking for humor and absurdity, the incongruity between our expectations of the Jesus story and what the text says, keep us on our toes and open us to the movement of the playful Holy Spirit in our midst. Strangeness and weirdness suggest that perhaps we don't yet have a full understanding of God, or at least an understanding of God that makes it so we can make a claim on owning God. Humor disrupts the flow of the workaday and knocks us off balance and opens us to the possibility of something new. Now, let's lean into this a little bit with a hypothetical. How did the conversation between Zebedee and James and John's mother go? Can you imagine? They both come home for the day. 
Zebedee stands there quietly for a while, looking out the window before saying, Honey, something strange happened at work today. Zebedee then goes on to describe how that traveling preacher from Nazareth, yes, the guy whose cousin is in jail, walked by with two other guys while Zeb and the boys were repairing their nets. No, they don't have the nets fixed yet, but that's beside the point. This guy, Josh, or Jesus, or whatever his name was, just kind of calls to James and John. And wouldn't you know it, Jimmy and Johnny just up and leave him there in the boat. Yes, they did. <laughs> Something about fishing for people, whatever on God's green earth that might mean. Is that some kind of joke? Zebedee, if nothing else, is certain that fishing for people doesn't pay well. I mean, fishing for fish is just enough to get by, but at least it's an honest day's work. It's what he's done his whole life, and what his father did, and what his grandpa did, and darn it, now his boys were to fish for people. Sounds more like a pyramid scheme than anything. No, he doesn't know where they've gone. No, he doesn't think the boys will be home for dinner. Who knows when they'll be home at all? Something fishy, indeed. Something about Jesus' call was compelling enough for those who heard it to drop everything and follow the one issuing the call. The call of Jesus demands something of those who will respond to it. It's no small thing to leave behind a livelihood. The English version of the text before us says that the fishermen left their nets and followed. This is true, but the Greek word for left that is used here indicates the breaking of an intimate relationship. In fact, it is the same word that Jesus would use for partners leaving one another in his teachings on divorce. Peter and Andrew and James and John broke with their livelihoods, likely the only source of income they had ever known. They left their families, their identities, their tools, everything, in order to follow Christ, in order to fish for people. Why? This isn't the first time that the idea of fishing for people emerges in our Bibles. The Gospel of Matthew is filled with references to the Hebrew Bible, sparking a dynamic relationship between Jesus as God and the flesh, that is, the Word of God living with people, and God as revealed through the stories and messages of the Hebrew Bible. I say dynamic relationship because Jesus did not replace the Hebrew Bible, but instead intimately connected with it. In a similar way, in times when anti-Semitism is rampant, it's important to remember that we as Christians do not replace Judaism, but, it's, but instead stand in dynamic relationship with it. In the Hebrew Bible, the prophet Jeremiah, writing during the tumultuous time when the southern Israelite kingdom of Judah fell to Babylon and the people went into exile, looked upon the desperate circumstances of his people and prophesied. And this is in Jeremiah chapter 16, verses 14 through 16. Therefore the days are coming, says the Lord, when it shall no longer be said, as the Lord lives who brought the people out of Egypt, but it will be as the Lord lives who brought the people of Israel out of the land of the north and out of all the lands where he had driven them. 
for I will bring them back to their own land that I gave to their ancestors. I am now sending for many fishermen, says the Lord, and they shall catch them. To fish for people, considering the prophecies of Jeremiah, was to, was to participate in God's work of restoration. Of the spirit, yes, but also of the physical state of people. It was to draw people in, to call to the corners of the globe because God was doing a new thing. You see, liberation and restoration go hand in hand. This is a work that cuts across time, yes, and our foray into the Hebrew scriptures is not yet complete. Let us turn to the other text for today, coming from the writings of the first Isaiah, written before Jeremiah's sayings were collected. It's more than simply an acknowledgement of location or a transition from one place to another that Jesus cites a prophecy from Isaiah at the beginning of his ministry. Zebulun land of Naphtali, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. Zebulun and Naphtali were two tribes of Israel who, when the kingdom of Israel split into northern and southern kingdoms, they took up their stake with the northern kingdom. At the time Isaiah wrote, the northern kingdom had fallen to invading Assyrian armies with a religious and political leadership exiled throughout the Assyrian Empire. The people who were left, shouldered with stark oppression, had hope spoken through the prophet. Just as God used the judge Gideon to free the Israelite people from powerful enemies, God was doing a new thing. God's work of liberation cuts across all times and all places. It is not difficult to find the ways that history rhymes slavery in Egypt with destruction by Assyria, with exile in Babylon, with colonization by Rome. I wonder if Peter and Andrew and James and John thought about this as they went to work every day. The necessity of putting food on the table and money in their pocket contrasted with the power of the Roman imperial machine. It does not seem to be an accident that Jesus, in the passages immediately before the ones we read today, is faced with temptation by the devil in the wilderness. Jesus is promised material certainty, political power, and safety from all harm, things valued by the world. If only he would abandon his vocation. Jesus is tempted with comfort when the times demanded a response. Instead, upon he hearing and learning that Herod had imprisoned John the Baptist, the one became, who came before him in the work of proclaiming the good news of God's kingdom, Jesus springs into action. Um, I should note, I use the phrase kingdom of God um, that was pioneered by Mujerista theologian Ada Maria Sassi Diaz um, to speak of how different the kingdom of God is than the kingdoms uh, or the systems of power. Um, as they manifest in the world. Jesus took up the same message of God's reign, this stark and holy alternative to the way things were and the way things are. Standing upon the shores of Galilee in the Roman kingdom, 
Jesus Christ of the kingdom of God invites his would-be apostles into a new reality. He does so with a play on words, with a joke. It's kind of silly. You, get, you fish for fish, why don't you come fish for people? How is that compelling? Philosopher Terry Eagleton, in his book Humor, spelled the British way with an extra U after the O, argues that humor, in some cases, functions to highlight the absurdity of what is accepted and considered natural uh, and reveals how constructed it is. In his words, in one sense, laughter represents the momentary collapse or disruption of the symbolic realm, of the sphere of orderly and articulate meaning, while in another sense, it never ceases to rely on it. Laughter and humor, the capacity to express joy, can be an act of resistance against forms of evil that demand we take them seriously. Jesus' call in the form of a play on words for a moment draws the soon-to-be disciples back into their prophetic tradition. It reminds them of God's liberating work in the world and reveals that the way things are is not how things have to be. Jesus calls us to remember our tradition, like Lane mentioned a little bit earlier with his work on the history of social justice in Harvard Up with the United Methodist Church. This history filled with the stories of, of faithful and justice-seeking persons. And Jesus reminds us of God's liberating work in the world. Through a moment, for a moment, through his words, through a play on words, Jesus suspends time, connecting the present to the past and drawing people into the eternal kingdom, that which is already here and not quite yet. Perhaps this is why God's call on the lives of the disciples and on our lives as well came in the form of a joke. In circumstances when evil is considered necessary, when truth is called a lie, when human lives are less valued than cash or political expediency, when justice is understood as a partisan issue, when we're all so desperate to make a normal out of the unsustainable, God's humor breaks the illusion that things are all right. What is more absurd? To follow the call of Christ to participate in God's restoration of all things, or to act as if this is not our call as Christians? To continue in our everyday with no changes in regard to how we live our lives, or to be willing to lay down the nets of those things that hold us back from living the God's calling in our lives. A call that the text tells us is to healing, to teaching, and to proclaiming good news. When we are told that we can only find meaning in our lives by accruing power, by collecting accolades, by storing up money, by winning popularity contests, by establishing our legacy, the call of the one who embodies, enfleshes, encapsulates the kingdom of God might seem like foolishness, might seem like a joke. 
As Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, which we read together in our soup and study a few weeks ago, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. To accept the call of the Savior on the beach is to step into a new means of living, a different set of ethics, a set of part way of doing life a different idea of what power means. As the kingdoms of the world claim that the only way to the top is to harm without looking back, the gospel reminds us that it is our responsibilities as followers of Jesus of Nazareth to heal. Rather than seeking the destruction of those with whom we disagree, the gospel reminds us that it is our commission to teach. The infrastructures of the kingdoms of the world are based upon the raising of armies and the accumulation of wealth. The infrastructure of the kingdom of God is built upon teaching and healing and humor and joy. As Christians, this is the good news that we carry. Because of the God who calls us and the mission that this God has for the world, we are free to drop all that which keeps us from bearing witness to the practical, historical, powerful love of God. We are liberated to teach, heal, and work for wholeness in all times, in all places, with all people. This morning I ask you, in what ways are you being called to teach, heal, and liberate? I imagine it looks different for all of us who are gathered here. And if you don't know, that's fine, it's a big ask for Sunday morning. We've only recently begun a long journey into call discernment as a congregation. But God's word isn't some disembodied thing that we encounter only on the pages of our English translations of the text, nor is it something that I can transmit to you from the pulpit. The word of God took on flesh and dwelt among us. God's word is something that finds life and is encountered in this community of faith. As you discern where God is calling you and how God is calling you and the nets that you must leave behind in order to respond to this call, I encourage you to lean on one another. Engage in difficult conversations. Avail yourself of the resources in this church. And most importantly, let us journey together as a community of faith as we seek to discern God's voice for us as individuals, as a worshiping community, and in ripples ever outward. My friends, God is calling you with a laughing voice. When voices of war and personal interest shape your imagination regarding what is possible, listen for the voice of healing, the voice of teaching, the voice of God's kingdom calling you to faithfulness. Whatever you do, whatever play on words or joke resonates with you, however you have found your meaning in the past, know that God is calling you. And this is a God who loves you, who laughs with you, who cries with you and has drawn you ever closer to God's self. Will you pray with me? Loving God, you created us in your image and pierced through the fog of our uncertainty.
to offer us direction that leads to teaching, healing, and liberation. Help us to respond to your urging so that we might be beacons of your love in the world. Form us in the image of your Son and lead us on the way of life. Grant that we might be ambassadors to your kingdom and carriers of your good news. Amen. Let us join together in singing hymn number 2130, found in the Black Faith We Sing hymnal, The Summons. Thank you. 